0: Hey everyone, it's Saturday, and we're pre-recording the message today because uh, we're expecting, what, our, like, 12th blizzard in four days uh, tomorrow, Sunday. Good chance that uh, tomorrow morning, Sunday, for the first time in many, many years, uh, that our church might be canceled here at Bunkton Westland. And uh, we want you all to stay safe and uh, it's not looking good. So we're pre-recording today, Saturday, and we're going to put this up on the website Sunday, which is probably when you're watching this. And so uh, we're here in the auditorium Saturday afternoon recording. One thing that I've learned right away is uh, when this place is not being used on a Saturday, it is ridiculously cold in here. I am Freezing to death, and my toque is right over there, and I really want to go get my toque and pull it down over my ears and uh, keep myself from perishing. But anyhow, if I fall down or pass out or anything, you'll know it's just, it's hypothermia, and um, there are people here running the media who will put warm blankets on me, I think, and bring me back to life. So anyhow, thank you for... for uh, checking in to this week's sermon and watching this online. We wanted to keep the Blessed Life series going, and we didn't want to miss week three. And so that's why we're doing this today. Thank you to those of you who are checking in. And uh, hey, give us a shout on, on Twitter or Facebook. Let us know that you are watching. We'd love to hear from you and know uh, where you are watching from. So, uh, like I said, there's like 300 centimeters on the ground in Moncton, and we're getting another 50 on Sunday, and that's just crazy. But... I still believe that we live in one of the best places in the world, and I love this city, and I am a proud New Brunswicker, and I'm not going anywhere, and it takes more than a snowstorm to bury us. (laughs) So let's just keep believing that, right? Let's just keep believing that, and we will make it through. This too shall pass. Spring is coming. Um, How many of you are reading or have already read the book, The Blessed Life? He says to an empty auditorium of 1,800 seats into the camera. Anyhow, uh, we still have some copies of this available to you free in the atrium. But you're not here in the atrium. You're watching online. But anyhow, next time you're here at the church, uh, pick one of these up. Uh, We would love to get them out of a box and into your hands. Uh, So I know that many of you are reading this. We're in week three out of four in our series here called The Blessed Life. And uh, we're not obviously going to be able to cover the entire book in four weeks, uh, but just grabbing some of the the bigger themes out of the book. Um, So for those of you who are new to Moncton-Westland, especially if you've just started coming, maybe maybe you started coming in the new year, maybe you just started coming after Hub City Christmas, um, I want you to know that we don't always talk about uh, money and giving and things like that. I know like if you just started coming here and week after week it seems like whoa this is all that they're talking about. Uh, we'll be on to a new topic in just a couple of weeks so stick with us, hang in there. And we said on the front end of this series that we weren't doing this because the church was is in a financial hole. That's not true. In fact the church is doing doing well. Uh, this is not a fundraiser. We're doing this a uh, series called The Blessed Life because we don't want you to, to miss the blessings that come from living a life of generosity. That's why we're doing this and we're not trying to get something from you. Uh, we just don't want you to miss anything and we want, it, this, this is, these are biblical principles and we want to teach the Bible, uh, the entire Bible to our people. And so I'm not, uh, I'm not saying all that to apologize, I'm just explaining why we're in this series and where we're going. There are a few times in the year when, as a church, uh, we need to step up together to meet a goal or to catch up, and I always try to be as upfront about that as I can. And so, again, for those of you who are new, I just want to, you know, kind of let you know, like, the, 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 the rhythm of this place, uh, just so when certain things pop up, you won't be like, oh, here we go. Again, for instance, our church year-end is the end of April, April 30. That's when the Wesleyan Church does their year-end. I know it's weird. I don't know why, but it is what it is. And so often, um, towards the end of March and into April, uh, we're in a bit of a financial push to encourage everyone to help us meet budget. And so we want to be responsible, and we're all in this together. And so, you know, people who are who have been here for many years— they, they get it, they understand it, they see it coming, and uh, they don't dread it or anything like that, and they try to, to step up to help the church meet budget. So that's often the case in April, not every year, but it's often the case. And then the next challenge is usually summer, and um, going into summer, that's one of the reasons why we encourage preauthorized giving is uh, when people take off for the summer. And by the way, don't think that everybody takes off for the summer. That's not true. Uh, we have great services in the summer, still good crowds. Uh, and all that, but summer we can take a dip financially, and then we come into the fall where you 're trying to ratchet everything up and, and get all the ministries uh, just cranking on all cylinders, which costs a lot of money, but you 're coming out of the summer and so usually, in September October around thanksgiving we 're often uh, encouraging uh, folks to help us out with the, with another push, and then uh, Christmas is often a time when there 's a push so i 'm just saying that just to give everybody a heads up like those are the kinds of, of rhythms. ...that we, we, we just hit in a church year. They are what they are. And uh, we're all, like I said, we're all in this together. And I don't want anyone getting freaked out about all this talk about about finances. So, are we okay? Are we good? This is yes. This is no. Thumbs up. Okay, great. All right, moving on. Um, I, uh, I Tim guptal have made a ton of mistakes in my 45 years of living... Um, I've made some smart moves like, like Mary and Gala, uh, yesterday when you're watching this, actually today is Valentine's Day and, uh, one of the smartest things this, this boy from Graham and Ann ever did in his life was Mary and Gala, um, pastoring this church. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel it's one of the smarter things, uh, that I've done. I've made some good, uh, some good moves, but I've had some doozies. I've made some mistakes. Anyone else? you know, made some mistakes. How about, how about financial mistakes? Anybody made a financial mistake? A lot of um, decisions that we've made, a lot of purchases. There are a lot of trade-ins in my life that I'd love to get back. Uh, I wish I could do it over again, uh, but I can't. And one thing I don't miss, one thing I don't regret is money that I've given to God. In fact, I, I shudder when I think of some of the mistakes that I've made, but I also shudder when I think of, of where my life would be or where our family would be if Gayla and I hadn't decided at the very, very beginning that we were going to put God first in all of our finances. You will never miss what you give to God. You, you might miss uh, some things that you bought and they end up in the attic or the basement or the closet or yard sale or whatever, but you won't Miss money that you give to God. You'll never miss what you give to God. So for me, um, the blessed life is more than a book that I've read. The blessed life is a principle that I've experienced. And that's just been true in our lives. So today we're going to talk about multiplication. And it caused me to think of all the times in my life when it didn't seem like I had enough. And uh, times when I thought, this, this we're not going to make it. Like there's not enough resources uh, to get us through or whatever. And we trusted God with, with the first fruits. And we just, we just practiced what we believed. And somehow God multiplied. And he blessed it. And he did far more with it than we ever could have done with it ourselves. And so I, I have found God to be a multiplying God in my life. And we're going to talk about that today. Um, if you think about it, God has embedded this principle of multiplication into all of creation right from the very beginning. Uh, if you take an apple, cut it open, what's inside? Uh, it's full of seeds. Uh, God has packed creation with potential, all of creation. Every living, every living thing has the potential to, to recreate and multiply uh, multiplication wasn't just a, a byproduct of creation. It was a command. God said, be fruitful and, and multiply. And it didn't take Adam and Eve long to, uh, to figure that out. I'm going to have a sip of some hot coffee. I don't always carry hot coffee up here, but I'm frozen stiff. So let me warm up a little bit. Okay. It didn't take Adam and Eve long to figure out uh, how to multiply. And to get this going. And, um, and before long, uh, if you read the book of Genesis, they, they were creating their own, their own cities. I mean, they really understood this principle of multiplication. And after the flood, uh, in Genesis chapter 9, God tells Noah to get back out there and multiply. In the book of Acts, we see where the number of believers and the number of churches and the number of Christ followers, uh, it, it begins to multiply rapidly. And I believe that God wants to take this group, and I, you know, looking out here at the auditorium, us, Mountain Westland. I believe that God wants to take this group right here and use us to radically multiply the number of Christ followers in the greater Mountain area and as far as we can reach. And that's not church growth jargon. That's keep people out of hell and take people to heaven jargon. My motivation to fill this room many times over is not about size; it's about salvation. It's about Jesus' command from Matthew chapter twenty-eight: "Go into all the world, into uh, Allac and kapala and in Albert County and everywhere in between, and make disciples." The opposite of multiplication is division, and I'd rather multiply. So in chapter 4 of The Blessed Life, Robert Morris highlights the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in each of the first four books of the New Testament. It's the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, it's actually more like the feeding of the fifteen to 20,000, because 5,000 is just the number of the men that were there, and their wives, women, children, uh, a huge crowd. So let's look at the text. It's Luke chapter 9, and uh, we're going to read today from... Verses ten to seventeen, Luke chapter nine, verses ten to seventeen. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped away. He slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said. Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There is nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there are about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Luke chapter 9, 10 to 17. Maybe the first uh, miracle in this text is... The crowd following Jesus without knowing that they were going to be fed and staying with him right through lunch and into the evening. I mean now that 's church. We could get a crowd here if we promise people lunch like if we said we 're going to guarantee you lunch, uh, we might get a crowd or the other way we, 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 we could get a crowd is if we guarantee people they 'll be done by lunch you 'll be out of here by lunch you can you can get a head start. Uh, ...to all the the restaurants. Jesus draws a crowd... ...even if they think they're going to miss lunch... ...or even the next meal after that. Our mission is to remove... ...all the distractions... ...all the barriers... ...any reason why someone isn't following Jesus... ...and present Jesus to the crowds... ...so that the crowds will once again... ...choose to, to follow Jesus... And we're given at least three clues uh, as to why the crowds were following Jesus. And it's in verse 11. So let me turn back here to the TV, and we'll get uh, verse 11 up. And there's three clues in here. Let's watch for it. The crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. And here are the three clues. I'll point them out. He welcomed them. He taught them, and he healed them. He welcomed them, Jesus taught them, and he healed them. I've, some other time, I've got to come back to this verse and un- unpack all of this in more detail. I don't have time. We've got to get on to the multiplication. But just going to draw a few things out of this text that we, that we just cannot miss. Because people will always be attracted towards, towards uh, churches, and communities that welcome them now wherever you 're watching this i 'm going to give you a little little warning here because you 're about to uh, come unglued and get really excited so a little warning if you 're sitting in a coffee shop or if you 're watching this on your phone while your car 's getting fixed or if you 're where, wherever you are a little warning here you're you 're about to come unglued so don 't say i didn 't warn you here it is Moncton Wesleyan will always be a safe place for anyone, anyone of any background or any persuasion or any situation to feel welcomed and loved. There it is. Go crazy. you holler out a woo or an amen or uh, applause or something like that. But this will always be a place where anyone who comes through our doors can feel welcomed and loved. Because Jesus created them Jesus loves them. Jesus welcomes them, and we will too. Feeling welcome towards Jesus, it's it's more than just a, it's more than just a visitor's parking spot or a handshake at the door. And I'm like, hey, I'm I'm very very thankful for our frontline team and Pastor Mike uh, Tappers doing a great job with them. That's part of it, but there's so much more to to actually making someone feel welcome things that we can all do on our on our own for instance i feel welcomed when when someone who doesn't know me um wants to get to know me when they're when when you can tell that someone's making an effort to find out who you are and uh, i feel welcomed when they ask about who i am and they ask about about my family they're interested in 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 uh in our lives they follow up during the week you know and and, and contact me <clears throat> not just on Sunday, or uh, I feel welcomed when when people notice when when i 'm not here um, or they or when someone invites me into their home or they love me for who I am and they 're not judging me uh, those things go a long ways to making people feel welcome um, just to be completely totally honest and, and frank here this morning I get I, I get sick every time I hear of someone who stopped coming to this church because they missed a few weeks. They were gone, you know, didn't didn't weren't here for church, and and no one missed them. And they just feel like, well, nobody cares. Nobody nobody missed me. And you might think, well, hey, Pastor Tim, that's that's pretty pretty petty of someone to feel that way. Uh, you know, maybe people should come to church for Jesus and not whether or not people notice when they're here or when they're not here and not, whether or not somebody calls to check up on us. I, I, I get it. But still, we need to care for each other. Uh, this congregation, we need to care for each other. And the staff can't do it all. The staff can't, can't reach every single person. So if, if you know someone who hasn't been here, you haven't seen them for 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 a few weeks or a couple of months or whatever, you take the initiative. You reach out and make that person feel welcomed and, and let them know that they're missed and, and invite them back. Um, and I also get sick when I hear that someone stopped attending Moncton Wesleyan because they felt like they, they, they couldn't get to know the pastor, me, Pastor Tim. And um, and, and, that, and that bothers me deeply. And I just, I just want to say this morning, like if that's you, if that's the way you're feeling, or you know someone who's feeling that way, call me. Uh, call the church number. Uh, stop me in the lobby. Invite me out for coffee. I'll even drink Tim Hortons with you. <laughs> oh. um, <clears throat> I can't invite me in your home or whatever. I can't find uh, every single person in this auditorium who who would like to get to know me better. Uh, I don't, I don't know who's trying to meet me and who's trying to avoid me, to be honest. Um, so please take the initiative uh, because I really do want to know every single person who comes to our church and I'm not trying to be distant or unapproachable. So Jesus welcomed them and then it, it also says here, uh, and he, he welcomed them and then he taught them. The second part is that he taught them. And I could go on, we could go on for several weeks about this, but let me just say that Following Jesus is not just a decision that you make. It's a lifestyle that you choose. This is, this is the, the direction that you're going to live for the rest of your life. And that is, a, that is that's a, a learning experience. It's a growing experience to follow Jesus. So you need to keep learning and to keep growing. I would say if you're, if you've never gone to one of our alpha courses, uh, register for one. Uh, put your name down, and, and when the next alpha course comes up, make sure that you, you get in that. Uh, get into a group. If you don't know um, what's available, go to the group's kiosk on a Sunday morning out in the lobby after church and talk to those folks. If you don't like what you see or certain groups are full, um, talk to us. Communicate. Maybe we need to start more groups or, or whatever. Just let us know. Um, get a Bible. Uh, I preach from the New Living Translation. You don't have to have a New Living Translation, but if you want to follow along, it makes it a little easier. Uh, get a Bible, get a study Bible if you can. It'd be a lot of help to you. Um, start to pray. Uh, find a Christian friend who you can share with. Uh, someone that you can pray someone who can pray with you and you can uh, share your growing experience with. Uh, keep coming on a Sunday morning. Sunday mornings are discipleship. Sunday mornings are growth opportunities. These are things that, that we can do that, uh, that help us to grow and learn spiritually. So he welcomed them. He taught them. And then the third thing is he healed them. And we're never the same after we encounter Jesus. He heals our brokenness. And uh, for some, it, it may even be physical healing. Uh, but he, he transforms our lives. And he takes our brokenness. And he makes us new and so uh, Jesus healing them was, was a huge part of why people were following him and, uh, and feeling welcome. Okay, next one, verse, verse 12. Let's, uh, here we go. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms. And I just, I just want to capture uh, the first part of that verse. Let's go back. The first part of this verse, late in the afternoon. Jesus preaches right through lunch. The Swiss chalet is about to close, and uh, at first the disciples aren't thinking, here's an opportunity for, for God to do something miraculous. That is not their first thought. They're not thinking, oh, good, he preached right through lunch, but I'm sure he'll do a miracle. Uh, they're thinking, we got a problem on our hands. The Swiss chalet is closing, and this is, this, is, this, is, this is not good. And their first thought of the disciples is to send people away rather than to deal with their hunger. They saw people's needs. They just, didn't, they just didn't know or see how God would meet those needs. And, and so often, too often, um, we see the needs of people, but because we don't have the answers, and it, it just seems too big, too complicated, too messy, we send people back into whatever it was that they came from back into the villages to figure it out on their own. And I say, God, help us uh, on that. And so the key truth from verse 12, uh, the key truth from verse 12, we're going to put that up on the screen here, I think. Let's see if we've got it. Uh, Do you have that next slide? No. All right, I'm going to read it. Maybe the guys can find it and put it up on the screen. If not, write this down. Here's the, the key verse, the key truth from verse 12. When you follow Jesus... God might lead you outside your comfort zone into a place where you have to rely on him to provide. Uh, Jesus has... Yeah, there it is. When you follow Jesus, God might lead you outside your comfort zone. He leads them outside the villages, away from the restaurants, away from the food, away from the hotels and everything. God might lead you outside your comfort zone into a place where you have to rely on him to provide. Uh, Jesus has them in the faith zone. There is not enough food. There's not enough reason. They don't have what they need to feed everyone. They are, they are in the faith zone. And this is where God often does his best work. All right, down to verse 13. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, the answer. Jesus gives them an opportunity He gives the disciples an opportunity to do something crazy, something beyond their wildest dreams. Feed 20,000 people outside of town with no restaurants, no caterers, no pizza delivery, no food trucks. And and when he presents them with this this opportunity to do something crazy, they do uh, what we often do. What we do too often. They counted the cost. Like here's this opportunity to do something crazy, ridiculous, awesome for God, and they think, "Ooh, what's what is that going to cost?" And they actually say to Jesus, "Like, do you expect us to pay for this? Hey, I didn't I didn't sign up uh, to give away my life savings, Jesus. How many years would I have to work to pay off that food bill? I don't even know these people. I'm just here for the teaching. Hey, I I didn't know you were going to take an offering, and and they. Jesus gives them this awesome opportunity and they give Jesus such a shallow, broke, cheap response. If it, doesn't, if it doesn't cost me anything, hey, I'm all in. But if you expect me to feed others, I'm out, sorry. And as we're about to see, when, when, when we as, as, as followers of Jesus see our resources as just our resources, that's it. Uh, those resources will always be limited. They'll be finite. They'll be earthly. They'll just, just that's it. They'll, we'll just have what we have and nothing else. Another side note here. Uh, we need, Moncton Wesleyan, we need a vision to see thousands of people coming to Jesus, regardless of what it costs us. We all need to be willing to go all in on this for Jesus. Not holding anything back. Okay, we're going to read verses 14 through 17. Here we go. Verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. He took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. I can't uh, read this text without remembering the time that Gail and I, uh, we were at a conference in Dallas, Texas. Uh, many of you have heard me share this before, but again, I can't read this without sharing this. Uh, we're at this conference in Dallas, and we heard uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes preach his head off on this pattern that we see in all of Scripture, where God takes someone and He blesses them, and He breaks them, and then He gives them, and it's it's this pattern that we see here in this in this text of Luke, where Jesus takes the bread and He blesses the bread. And then he breaks the bread. And then he, he gives it. It's, you see the same pattern. It's what God did with his son Jesus. And he took him from heaven. And he blessed him at his baptism. And he broke him on the cross for our sins. And then he gives him to anyone who will receive him for their salvation. Um, You see the pattern after the resurrection in Luke chapter 24 where Jesus pulls up alongside a couple of guys who are walking down this this road towards a place called Emmaus. And uh, they're walking and they're talking over all the events of the crucifixion. And they didn't recognize Jesus at first. And at the end of their their day, the end of their journey, uh, Jesus starts to go one way and they beg him to stay. Will you just stay for, for, for dinner? And so they're, they're having their meal together, and when Jesus took the bread and he broke the bread and he blessed it, and then he gave it to them, there was something in that pattern. All of a sudden, the, the lights go on, and the blinders are lifted, and, and in that pattern of, of taking it and blessing it and breaking it and giving it, all of a sudden they see Jesus clearly uh, for, for who He is. They recognize um, who He was. They could see him clearer than ever. This same symbolism is in the sacrament of communion when we take the bread and we bless it and we break it and we give it to each other. And God might take your life and God might, he might take you and he might bless you. And you might go through a season where you're feeling like, like God is breaking you. And, and when the things all around you seem to be breaking you, you might go through a season where you wonder like how much breaking, how much more breaking can I, can I bear God? And, and But don't forget the pattern of God. That God wants to to take your life and bless your life. And if he's he's breaking you, it could be that God wants to use your experience, your life uh, in in multiplied ways uh, for other people. It might be that God has a plan to, to give you, to give your life, to give your situation, your lessons, your experience in a way that will bring him glory and maybe even lead others to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So and I just get excited when I, when I read that. And I, I remember uh, Bishop Jake's preaching that. Just that, that pattern that we see in all of Scripture. Where, where God took it and he blessed it and he broke it and then he, he gave it. So if you feel like you're being broken right now, um, hang in there. Uh, because God might be, be, be uh, getting ready to, to give your experience in a way that gives him glory and blesses other people. Okay, verse, uh, verse 16. Verse 16. I think we're going to go back to that one. Yeah. Okay, Jesus took the five loaves, two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Okay, this time around on this verse, we've highlighted these three words. He kept giving. I want that just to jump off the page. I want us to see this. God is a giving God. God is a supplying God. God is a, a providing God. He has packed his creation with all the potential to supply our needs. God brings water out of the ground. He brings manna from heaven. He parts the seas from our enemies. He goes before us as a fire by night in a cloud by day. He tells us that that if he... If, if, if he can clothe the flowers of the field, if he can feed the birds of the air, how much more does God care for us, his children? God wants to lavish good gifts on, his, on your life. He is a multiplying God. He is a giving God. He keeps on giving, and you can never, ever outgive God. When you honor him with, with your resources, when your lo- with your loaves, with your fish, whatever you have in your hands, all that God has brought into your life, when you honor him with these things, when you, when you give it back and you present it and you just hold it out and say, here it is, Jesus. Here's my life. Here's everything that I have. Uh, when you take all that you can scrape together in your life and present it back to Jesus, it's all yours. Do a miracle with this, God. God can multiply your gift. He can use it exponentially to feed thousands of people for his glory. Our part is to bring it. God's part is to bless it. Our part is to have faith. God's part is to do a miracle. And when we trust, when we trust God with everything, he is capable of doing anything. When we trust God with everything... He is capable of doing anything. I've had several people over the past uh, few weeks um, when, when we were getting into this blessed life series I had people start just coming to me and, and wanting to share uh, their stories with me of how um, how God has been blessing their lives and and, and they've simply uh, taken whatever they had you know their, their loaves and their fishes whatever they whatever they had, and presented it to God. And God has been, been blessing in their lives. Um, I've had multiple people share with me. Multiple people in this church recently share with me that uh, that somehow when they trusted God with, with what they had, that that the bills were being taken care of. And, and somehow God just seemed to provide. And, and even in times when they couldn't see how it was all going to work out, it did. And, and God multiplied their gift. God just kept supplying. Uh, multiplication begins with emptying. That's the principle that we see in this text. When we, when we just come to God with what we have, when we empty ourselves and just say, here it is, Lord, here, here's my life. Multiplication begins with emptying. There is unlimited potential in full surrender. Let's pray together. God, we give you all that we have this morning, today. We give you our lives, our resources, our finances, our hopes, our dreams, our needs, our requests, our questions, our problems that seem insurmountable. We give it all to you. And we ask God that you would take it and bless it. And break it and multiply it in our lives and in our church. Multiply it in this city that we might see uh, crowds uh, being welcomed to follow you, to follow Jesus Christ. Help us to trust you when it doesn't make sense. Help us to give when it requires faith. Help us to welcome the crowds of our city with a love like they have never experienced before. In Jesus' name I pray today. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for uh, watching today. Um, Hope that you share this with your friends. Hope you are enjoying the Blessed Life series. Uh, Hope that you get shoveled out from all the snow. God bless you all. Thanks. Take care.